This looks like my first episode back from the long hiatus forced upon me due to pandemic essentiality. I wanted to take a moment here at the beginning of the podcast to thank Mark Radulich for picking up the banner to continue the show through my absence. I also want to thank all of you that pitched in and helped Mark with all the episodes. I'm not going to list everyone here because I know I'll forget someone and I'll feel horrible afterwards. Just know that it was great to be able to tune in and hear people still talking about comics on the network, and that your participation brought a smile to my face each time I started the podcast. My plan was to come back in September 2021, but I'm easing my way back just a little earlier with this discussion starring Sean Comer as we talk JLA Titans, the Technus Imperative. It's good to be back. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Source Material. I am your host, and I am I'm back. I am back in the hosting chair. I am Jesse Starcher, and uh, we are going to be discussing, if I remember correctly, it's JLA Titans book tonight. It took place in 1998 into 1999, if uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics is correct. Uh, but the Titans are something that I've dabbled in, but I haven't really jumped headlong into. Tonight, though, Sean Comer has decided he wanted to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> JLA Titans, the Technus Imperative. So, Sean Comer, welcome back to Source Material. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Man, I get to be here for your comeback show. That's right, buddy. That is right. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah, yeah. all the people you could have on, you could have on here to ease yourself back into the saddle, and you had to choose the words "most eloquent noob" when it comes <laughs> to comics. <laughs> well. <laughs> I know you've been into some comics every once in a while. I think I remember back when I first started listening to the network, you were talking about your fondness for Green Lantern and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. enjoying, uh, I think, what Jeff Johns was putting to the page, if I remember correctly. Oh, I, I, I love Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run. He's one of those guys that, man, there are some heroes you just kind of wish he would kind of set aside and never, ever touch again. But, man, when he gets it right, he gets it right. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed a lot of Green Lantern that I had read mm -hmm. That he wrote. Mm -hmm. Like I was mentioning to you here earlier, is that uh, I noticed that you started reading some Titans as well, uh, some Teen Titans. Yeah. I guess first off, first question for you is why Teen Titans number one? Before we talk about why Technus Imperative, tell me about like, is there a reason why you kind of gravitate towards the Teen Titans or the Titans? Well, I mean, sort of. I know that when Wolfman and Perez revived the Titans, uh, Marv Wolfman has said as much that they were really compared most closely to the X Men. Mm -hmm. You know, the X-Men were kind of Marvel's familial superhero team. And the Titans, to a lot of fans, kind of felt like DC's answer to that. In Marvel's case, uh, the X-Men, anybody who's ever read them will tell you that it's it's more often than not one really big kind of civil rights movement analog. Mm -hmm. Where you sort of got Charles Xavier standing in for Martin Luther King Jr. Magneto is sort of your, your more militant Malcolm X type. Whereas the Titans, whereas they kind of fit sort of that mold, comparing the Titans to X-Men to me always felt a little bit like the people who compared Goldberg to Stone Cold Steve Austin okay. and said that Goldberg was way was their way of Austin's was WCW's way of ripping off Austin mm -hmm. and kind of doing their own Kmart version. And I always kind of looked at it and I went, well, I mean, if all you're looking at is the fact that they're two muscly bald dudes and <laughs> black tights and black boots with some anger management issues. And maybe, maybe I, maybe <laughs> I guess sort of, eh. but I, I mean, I never saw it that way. 
if anything, I always thought that maybe the better comparison to the Titans was in terms of having that sort of found family bond. They always kind of compared more to me, a little more to the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. That's and that that might be that might be truly blasphemous to some. But you know, you you had tension, you had infighting, you had you had angst. But at the end of the day, there were those kind of thicker than blood bonds among them. Mm-hmm. No matter no matter who was on the team. And I also liked that Wolfman pointedly didn't want them to just be kind of teen analogs to the other DC heroes. They really wanted to have these characters stand apart on their own, forge their own path, kind of def- kind of be really self-defined as being their own thing. So I kind of got a little, got a little bit familiar with them through the TV show. And then, of course, my being a big fan of the esteemed comic critic Linkara and atop the fourth wall, mm-hmm. uh, he's said on a number of occasions that these particular Titans, as once you said before, he said, they're not teen, they're not new, they're just the Titans, mm. uh, that this was the lineup. And in fact, this was the book that really turned him onto comics when he, a number of years back, devoted a whole month of his channel to showcasing various runs on the Titans. He singled this one out for one of the rare reviews where he wasn't highlighting a bad comic. As he as he said right from the outset, he said, we're talking about my favorite comic. It's one of those examples of something that some nerds really do well, where they take something that they're just absolutely bonkers in love with, mm-hmm. and they describe it in such vivid, adoring, really kind of quantum level terms that it, you, it can't help but kind of embed itself in your mind and think well now I'm curious yeah okay. now now I gotta check now I gotta check this out yeah, and well. yeah and so of course over over the past year in the midst of my life being being a big heaping bowl bowl of pan burger pan burger partner flavored chaos <laughs> Callback. I almost, yeah, right? Right. I all of a sudden had some time to get back to trying to get back into comics again. And the Titans were one were one of the teams, one of the books that really stuck out. You know, I never really got around to him the first time. This time I'd like to sit down and really take a deep dive. And I started with Wolfman and Perez. I got through some of the early issues I read. Uh, I finally got around to reading the Judas Contract. Yeah. And then Mark and I are talking one night before either Long Road to Ruin or On Trial or one of the 55 other shows that I've guested on at some point or another. <laughs> and he says, and he says, hey, you're kind of a comic book guy. You like, And you like the Titans. Can you pick out a Titans book that we can read for right around? when the next season is going to be premiering on HBO Max. A couple of them came to mind. Like I thought about Titans Hunt. I thought about The Culling. Mm-hmm. But the one that I kept coming back to is I went, man, the one I'd really like to talk about is I really like to talk about JLA Titans, the Technus Imperative. Yeah. Because in addition to it being a look at the Titans that I'd never gotten before, uh, Devin Grayson and Phil and Phil Jimenez, I also haven't read that many straight up Justice League stories. Okay. So it was it was two birds with one stone. It's funny you mentioned uh, your comparison between the X-Men and the, and the Teen Titans. I think that for myself, I was, and I've said it many times on the podcast, I'm a big Marvel guy, so that's kind of where I started, I should say. I started reading mostly Marvel, and it's not that I didn't appreciate DC, it's just that the pocketbook can only afford so much. So I squared myself soundly in uh, Marvel's history, but Mm. I think the first book that I ever owned and possibly even read that involved the Teen Titans was the Uncanny X-Men and the new Teen Titans crossover in 1982. 
people will say that that is the first uh, or w- one of the best, I should say, uh, comic book crossovers uh, between Marvel and DC that's happened. Marvel, uh, or I should, I should say Superman and Spider-Man's up there. I've covered that on here. But I really, of course, dug the X-Men. And this is the 80s X-Men when you have the you know, the Dark Phoenix and you got Dark Side. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's been a while since I read it. But yeah, I think that was probably my first ever like real exposure to the Teen Titans. But yeah, so I, I mean, I know the players. At least I know the main players. Getting into this, some time has passed since... Number one, it's been a couple of years since I covered uh, the first like six issues of uh, Teen Titans. Also, this is 1998, so a couple, uh, almost a, a decade, if not 15 years, has passed since that formation of the Teen Titans. Uh, there's a lot that's happened since then. I'm not going to go into it, but maybe if you, if uh, if people are familiar with the Teen Titans and who are now the Titans in in the 90s here, you'll probably see that you know Wally West is now the Flash on the JLA. Uh, you will also see Kyle Rayner, uh, who is Green Lantern now. Might have, there's no Hal Jordan out there yeah. in the Justice yeah. League. Uh, so there's there's a lot of changes that if you look and compare DC, obviously, in the pre-80s, or I should say in the early 80s, uh, and I think this was prior to Crisis, which I think occurred in 84, 85. I could be wrong on that. But regardless, there has been some some changes. So when I do the synopsis, okay, I did my best to make sure I tried to get everything correct, but I was scratching my head on some of these things. Like number one, and obviously we'll talk about this, but the story centers around Cyborg, uh, mm-hmm. Victor Stone, and what's happened to him since. He's pretty much become a planetoid. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where did we go from, you know, Cyborg in the early 80s to where we're at now? I'm sure there is a long, long story involved. But just be aware that, you know, that's the kind of change that sometimes happens to these DC characters as time progresses, especially in the DC universe. How but, did you how did you feel like the comic handled that in, uh, in terms you, of fleshing out the backstory? Like letting you know, I, I mean, they did a decent job. We find out there in like, I think, the first issue. Actually, I think we really find out in the second issue. That's where they really lay it all out there. Like what happened? Raven comes in and explains some stuff. Gar takes us, you know, takes us through kind of what happened. But the first issue is like everybody's trying to figure out what in the world's going on. Second issue is like, okay, we figured it out. We know who what is going on here. And I understood at least a little bit of it. And then we have our big battle. I, I imagine if you are a Titans fan, you are going to love this book because there is so much, so much in it. There's a lot of history that they bring in. And you're just myself, who is a, a casual Titans fan, was going, wow, that obviously means something. <laughs> that person on the page in that one panel probably <laughs> is a callback to something. But as for how they handled, you know, explaining how Victor Stone got to where he is what we had like a whole page of dialogue at one point where it i mean it had to be a page because it's going to take somebody at least 10 to 15 minutes in real life to explain how this happened how victor stone went from cyborg to siberian to being involved with technus i'm patient enough with that i don't know about you but we can (laughs) i would i would i would mostly agree with with that assessment yeah i think i think one of the greatest challenges of both writing and 
reading a comic has got to be the fact that every comic is going to be somebody's first comic. Yep, right. And so you've always you've always got to tread just a little bit lightly with that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I uh, the the big exposition dump about what happened with Cyborg that that came across just fine. Grayson and Grayson and Jimenez really laid that out in a way that they got it over with quickly. And by the time it was done, even if you weren't intimately familiar with every character on the page, you still had a close enough uh, grasp on what was going on to be able to follow along. But there's something else that this book did that I really appreciated. And I don't know if if you kind of caught it on the same level that I did. I loved these little dossiers that you oh, got yeah. on each member of the Titans that they yep. and of course and of course they're in the dossier format it's clever because it doesn't break immersion because it's formatted like it's Vic as Technus that's right that's right uh, scanning each member of the team to make sure that to make sure that he's grabbing the right one they aren't extensive and in fact the only the only downside to them is man that's some fine fine print that you have <laughs> that you have to deal with to really to really read some of the breakdowns of their of their powers and things Mm -hmm. but i can tell you i can tell you one little thing that i absolutely appreciated it's it's a bit of a continuity deep cut but when they get to when they get to terra 2 yeah 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 yeah. um they really went to some lengths to make sure that they dodged some spoilers if you look at closely and i'm i'm not going to give away what it is because i don't want to undo the the kindness that this book does to new readers Tara is a character who was created by Wolfman and Perez specifically to be the center point, the plot twist of an arc that they were already looking ahead about a year down the road to. They they kind of they kind of geared her every action from introduction right up to that arc to one specific purpose. When they're introducing her, her clone in this arc, her counterpart, mm-hmm. and they kind of have to run that part down. It just it gets to the part where it mentions that she was a sociopath and traitor to it's just a bunch of asterisks and then system pause file updating. Way to dodge those spoilers. Way to make sure that make sure that a key historic arc isn't going to be ruined for somebody. She's important, especially when, like, oh, at the end. Yeah. yeah, at the end, it's, I think, I don't know if it's Gar and Vic talking, but, you know, she mm-hmm. kind of shows up and Vic's like, you know, he raises an eyebrow like, whoa, wait, what is she doing here? He's uh-huh. it's a uh-huh. long story. <laughs> That's pretty much <laughs> why. It's a long story. Well, now, I, I, got, I got to ask, what version did you... Uh, this is uh, strictly the three issues themselves. So... Okay, so you got to individually yeah uh, okay. is there do you have the trade uh yeah you see i got the i got the trade published in 99 i bought my copy brand new from amazon i got a little i actually got a little expository bonus that you didn't yeah i was gonna say I've, they usually do a good job of throwing some stu- extra yeah, stuff in there from um, some of the creators or something well not well not exactly but in this case it's just it's just a very small thing where right before you start the first issue um on each the it's it's you know back-to-back pages you have yep. one side that's the kind of seven key focal principles from the JLA of the story and a little about, oh, 
three to three to five line just kind of rundown on them doesn't extend more than just two or three more than two or three sentences and on the other side you've got what they what they would consider these seven key members of the titans and it's just it's just a real quick this is their their origin kind of in one in one sentence this is the basics this is the basics of their of their powers you know here you go like i'll I'll give you two examples like um i'll even do two of the longer ones uh aquaman founding member of the justice league arthur is the royal ruler of a kingdom that covers over two-thirds of the planet his abilities to withstand the awesome pressure of the deep and to communicate with all the ocean's inhabitants help to make him the undersea world's greatest protector um whereas on the other hand on the titan side and this is one where it even kind of clears up whoa wait why are we considering this this one a member of the titans is we have the atom Mm-hmm. Uh, transformed by the power of a white dwarf star. Physics professor Ray Palmer now has the power to reduce himself to tiny, even subatomic size. After the events of Zero Hour, his body returned to the age of a teenager, thus clearing the way for his recent membership in the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. As we were going through the book, I saw that uh, the Atom was listed as a, ti- as a Titan. And again, casual guy over here. So it's not mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. I know the history, oh, neither, but it makes I. sense. I haven't, neither did I. I. I haven't read Zero Hour, but that's yeah. the amazing thing. It's one thing to make a comic that's a superb jumping off point to introduce you to a team or to a hero. It's another to do it where you're trying to weave the story into a whole lot of of, of other events in past books, past past events, what have you, that not everybody is going to be able to to catch up on. I, I've always said the the two most difficult daunting media to get it to get into in terms of having to find just the right point to jump in so that you're not going to be just overwhelmed is anime slash manga and comics oh yeah with 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 doctor who maybe being a being a close (laughs) close third (laughs) i get that one's neck and neck (laughs) so like i said this came out in december of 1998 it's a cover date october 28 1998 is when it hit the shelves jla titans number one and this is written by devin grayson plotted and penciled by phil jimenez inked by annie lanning lettered by richard starkings and colored by jason wright that synopsis is right around the corner but first let me talk to you about amazon music you may not be able to find technus's spacefaring ambient album that's no moon it's a construct but you can find the best of Technotronic featuring Move This. This beat is Technotronic and of course, pump up the jam. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M network for that free 30-day trial. And our first issue, former Titans Changeling, or Beast Boy, or first name Garfield, and Argent, (laughs) uh, are reflecting on days past and how the Titans are no longer a team when friends Prism and Fringe burst through the door. Exhausted, they warn of an oncoming threat from space. On the moon, at the JLA Watchtower, Wally West, Flash, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Big Barda, Orion, the Atom, and Steel are installing a piece of new Genesis tech to the base when they become under attack by a metallic sphere in their orbit, sending sending a rain of smaller metal objects towards the Earth, which wreaks havoc on any technology. Oracle
Oracle is monitoring this and gets view gets news of the Watchtower situation to Batman, Superman, and other heroes. And I mean other heroes, folks. We get a lot of appearances here. Soon, the heroes realize the smaller spheres are singling some of them out, capturing them and encasing them. Starfire, I, who I think is already captured, uh, Green Lantern, Nightwing, Donna Troy, Terra 2, Fringe, Prism, Argent, Changeling, Flash, Adam, and Raven are just some of the first to be captured. And once inside the machines, the heroes do not find torture, but a space within that seems to cater to their desires. As more and more former Titans are captured, the heroes that remain are horrified as a larger metallic conglomeration or construct begins to dwarf and surround the moon. On Earth, Batman calls the remaining heroes to Titan's Island. He explains this is where the Metal Spheres have gathered the captured heroes below ground, and their first and foremost action must be to rescue them. Meanwhile, all the spheres have come together, keeping the former Titans in pods, putting them all in VR simulations to keep their minds at ease. When the Flash, Nightwing, and Changeling all realize the simulations they're in are too good to be true, and I love how Nightwing is like Batman smiling and hugging him. He's like, this is not real. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Immediately he knows. Um, He 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 turns away almost in disgust like his intelligence has just been in Yeah, he's like, ah, this is not real. Uh, But anyway, when they realize that the simulations are too good to be true, they easily awaken and find the other captured Titans and pods surrounding them. Trying to come to a a conclusion as to who's behind this, Gar emphatically says he's figured it out. It's Victor Stone, Cyborg. So that's our first issue. We have a a threat coming from space. The Earth appears to be, at least in in the, the sights of whatever this is, technology is running haywire. The moon is being engulfed by this gigantic metallic sphere. My first question to you is, and I mentioned this in the synopsis, there are a lot of characters just in mm-hmm. issue one. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you knew what you were getting into here. I mean, it obviously obviously says JLA Titans on the on the front cover. So we're expecting at least the Justice League and, and the Titans. But there are way more than those characters. We are talking like former Titans, uh, people who are just kind of ancillary or, or to the side of the JLA who are kind of helping them out. Did you feel overwhelmed? What were your thoughts? A little bit. A little bit at first, uh, just I mean, just because. Look, when, when you're talking about these two teams, uh, obviously, our, most of our audiences is probably going to be established comic fans. But for anybody who might be a little bit new, a little bit wet behind the ears, like I am, you at least know enough to know that there have been, I, I think, just about every heroic figure in the DC universe has at some point been a member of the Justice League. And likewise, since we made the comparison earlier, one area where they are about neck and neck is I think the Titans have had probably at least as many lineups as the X-Men Yeah, <laughs> over the years. So uh-huh. yeah, that's a lot to digest unless you've actually been a lifelong devout every single month reader of both of these two, of both these two books. There, there's just, there's so much to keep, much to keep track of. You know, there, there's two edges to this sort. On the one hand, by the time I finished the book, I, I, I was and am absolutely enthralled to go dig into the other lineups and the other eras of their Titans. Absolutely bring them the fuck on, especially anything else that Grayson and Jimenez might have worked on. But on the other hand, shit, this first issue was a drink from the fire hose. Oh. Uh, I, rec- I 
recognize most of the members of the JLA easily enough. New God is still on my on my must read list, but I'm passingly at least familiar enough with Orion and Barda mm-hmm. to to know who they to know who they are and to know that huh Orion whether he likes it or not he got a little bit of his daddy in him <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, like, I'm like, oh, elongated man, manhunt, manhunter, Rainer, Barda, Orion. Oh, this is cool. But then we get around to the Titans and we get to members that I'm maybe yeah, only dude. familiar with very much in passing. And that's where those dossiers come in really, really handy because yeah. you don't really need to know much about them in the way of backstory because for most of them, not much of it is going to come into play in terms of maybe understanding. Standing a, a sideline here or there, but they will fill you in on at least who they are, what their power, what their powers are, so on and so forth. Just like you, I'm seeing all the names I recognize that just about anybody's going to recognize. Um, mm-hmm. I see the names I know in passing and maybe not have read anything with them, but I know them just because I probably listened to a podcast or three that that has talked about some mm-hmm. of the books these people have been in. And just like you said, Fringe, Prism, Argent no clue for me i'm like sitting there i'm like i don't know who these people are obviously they're heroes but there were names that were being thrown out there that i was just like see okay i think i think i think argent and wilderbeast and will wilderbeast wilderbeast Wildebeest and uh, Damage, I think, were three of the only ones that I was familiar with any more than in name only. Uh-huh. Everyone else, I would just kind of, okay, hi. Yeah. Good yep. to meet you. <laughs> the fuck are you? <laughs> One of the central themes behind this book, and we get a, a little bit of a taste of it here, is the friendship between Changeling Gar and uh, Victor Stone Cyborg. These guys were pretty good friends, right? Well, yeah. I mean, they, I think of the two of them, they have the most kindred friendship of anyone on the team because they both, it always struck me as kind of bonded over really being the odd ones out in their respective families and never really had having that that place among those people around them that they could really identify with until they until they came to the titans in gar's case he always kind of sort of felt like a misfit among among the doom patrol mm-hmm this odd metahuman with this substantial with this substantial fortune around him and always kind of feels the need to to overcompensate with the big loud personality personality and sometimes overdoing it on his powers and going clear back to when Wolfman Perez introduced him cyborg wrestling with the extent of his humanity and yeah. kind of and kind of feeling at home walking just walking among regular people or even other metahumans has has always been a big big theme and here in this story we just come to the point where that's at a tipping point mm-hmm. but up to this point i always kind of got the impression that that was why the two of them bonded so closely among the original core lineup i had the the closest i think you got otherwise was i mean obviously there was the fact that there was that there was a lot of tension about raven given given her history mm-hmm. being you know the 
the the spawn of Trigon and a mortal and a mortal woman and always trying to kind of fight off his his possession and that kind of leading to her being kind of an ostracized figure figure on Azeroth. You've got Dick who initially really kind of was starting to resent Bruce's presence in his life. Mm-hmm. But then you've got these two. This bunch, this crew really feels like the first family the two where the two of them have ever really felt completely at home, completely yeah. at peace. But yeah, you know, you could tell in the comic itself, those two were kindred spirits. They pretty much go on a spacefaring adventure. It doesn't turn out so well, but we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> you know, but 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 the but the funny thing about them is though is, and I just want to touch on this in general because it's it's one of my favorite things about this book and about these two in general is the fact that I mean, number one, that's all that's a bond, a kind of or a kind of really a kind of sort of tragedy of mm-hmm. the two of them that I think any any nerd can relate to. And you know, comic books. Let's keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, long before they were ever these big budget properties that was that was who they were writing was who these artists and writers were creating for absolutely we we were their core were the nerds the misfits the outcasts the the people who were looking for some combination of an escape and something that and spoke something that spoke to sometimes inner turmoil that they that they really couldn't put into words or express in any way themselves. Mm-hmm. In that sense, you've got these two kind of uh, kind of lifelong misfits who are just kind of like, huh, you don't exactly fit in anywhere, do you? No, <laughs> neither do you. Cool. Want to hang out? Well, issue two. Uh, in this issue, we learn the, of the events that led Victor Stone Cyborg to become Siberian and <laughs> the large technus construct that is now threatening the Earth. Yes, Siberian Cyborg is this technus construct. Uh, Vic gave himself to the technus, which is described as, and I put this in quotes, cyber a, a cyber alien collective all into exploring and cataloging stuff <laughs> and journeys into space with his friend Gar. So, you know, they go off, they're in space, cataloging things, looking things over, which I don't know if I'm not the biggest DC guy, but there, if there is a uh, changeling cyborg book out there where they were just going through space and looking at things, I might check that out. I'm just putting that out there. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste a second checking that out. <laughs> I know, dude. <laughs> As time passes, Gar decides to leave, noticing that his friend is becoming less becoming less and less human. Another friend of Vic's, which don't know who this guy is, but he, he apparently was on board as well, a guy by the name of Jerris Minion, also mm-hmm. departs, but gives Vic a parting gift of some advanced technology called the Omega Drome War Suit. All right, that's important. This suit allows Siberion to begin to recreate the Technus planet by constructing a small planetoid out of whatever it could collect. So my guess is, is like if this thing were able to continue its run it, uh, of programming or whatever, this thing would just continue to grow and grow and grow. Alone, Siberian, who is now more a technological being than human, Siberian resorts to his most basic commands, uh, the Technus Imperative, which Vic interprets to reassemble his family. Siberian then sets a course that is taking him, taking him to where he is at now, collecting Titans, but 
but unaware of the threat he is posing to Earth. An awakened changeling, Nightwing and Flash, converse with Raven to come to, uh, and come to the belief that they are still part of Vic and what is left, but decide they need to release the others first. During this, the JLA are able to break through the ground. Remember, they were hanging out above on uh, the ground on Titans Island. Superman basically just drills through with the help of Big Barda. They get down to where the Titans are, and they join the Titans trying to figure out what's going on. Most of the JLA believe that Vic is long gone, uh, and only data remains, and therefore they should end the threat by destroying the power core. I mean, they're pretty much assuming that he's dead. Uh, but of course, the Titans disagree, and they feel that if they could reach Vic, they could stop what's happening. As tensions flare on what action to take, the environment around them begins to change into a masked landscape of Vic's memory. Just think virtual reality, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. All of a sudden, all landscape around them just becomes parts of the DC universe, which is interesting. <laughs> As some heroes beg for level heads, others strike out to try to end the conflict, and we have a large-scale battle on our hands. This is what you came to the, this comic <laughs> for <laughs> between the Titans and JLA. Vic then begins to bring former allies to the Titans into the fray. Thunder and Lightning, Azrael, mm -hmm. not Asbats, Azrael, Magenta, Chris King, which is interesting. I thought this was pretty cool because I've heard of this guy, but I've never read anything in it. Dial H mm. for Hero. Have you ever heard of this dude? Oh, God, that's familiar to me by name. Yeah. It, I can't place where I've heard it. I think what you could do is you it, it, this this person's power, and I think they might even say that in the dossier, but he could become a hero for an hour oh, with yes. a different power set. Yes. Um, so that, Chris King shows up. Harlequin, which is not Harley oh, Quinn. This is huh? Duella Dent, ladies yep. and gentlemen, uh, is broken out of jail and happy to go. Uh, there's an attempt to get Deathstroke, and he's like, nah, I think not. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That is, that, <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> that, that is my favorite part, just because uh, it's, it's not so much that as he says, yeah, I don't want to help the Titans. <laughs> And, and the collection unit doesn't even put up a fight. No, it's, it's like, like, okay, okay. see you later. <laughs> like it, I, I got to wonder if on some level it just goes, I know how this goes if I press the issue. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want exactly. none. <laughs> So Tim Drake gets, uh, I think, gets captured as well. Or no, I shouldn't say captured. Tim Drake follows and says, yeah, I'll help out. Superboy, though, comes along with him. So and yeah, Dove three. It's, it is it is not Superboy Prime, mercifully. Uh, yeah, yes, thank goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, just to name a few, these these are the recruits that uh, the Technus is trying to get to help out the Titans as they face off with the JLA. Now, during this whole battle, Nightwing and Batman are arg arguing about the course of action, each laying out arguments on what to do. When Nightwing finally shows Batman that the, that the reaction they are getting from the construct supports that Vic is aware of what's going on, Batman gives them 30 minutes to gather a team and head to the moon to see what they can accomplish while Batman tries to get the fighting to stop. Now this, of course, you know, is, I think pawned off like this was Batman's plan all along, but I, I obviously when he gets into it with Nightwing, Nightwing talks some sense into him. I think Batman was initially wanting to absolutely destroy the power core. See, I I don't I don't know. I kind of buy that this might have been Bruce's plan all plan all along. For one thing, I'm not sure if this was the era when DC was still actually honoring Batman's ident identity as the world's greatest detective mm. and not just, you know, crazy brooding asshole. Hey, well, hang on. Let me let me go to it because there's there's a couple of remarks that he makes mid fight that mm -hmm. that do enforce my belief that yeah that this was in fact he's this was in fact his plan all along part like part way into it where he 
references how much energy Vic has to be. That's right. Vic has to be using yeah. just just out of nowhere. I think that was the moment. Here it is. Hmm. Virtual reality, environmental control without direct brain contact. Your friend is getting increasingly powerful. Dick says he must be using some kind of three dimensional grid. Look how big the cavern is all of a sudden. An impressive illusion. I wonder how much power he has to di- divert to grid. And even Dick says, you mean, is he nice and distracted now? And that's where I went, Dick, slow, slow down. He just <laughs> handed, he just handed it to you. You're trying to spell cat. He's giving you the C and the T and you're trying to remember if there's a Q in there. <laughs> just, just slow down. Take a breath. Like, yeah. It, 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 tru- it truly is. It truly is brilliant. But I mean, through, throughout the entire thing, I, I have to touch on this. If there are any two artists who just absolutely excel, the more heroes they have to draw on a page. It is without a doubt George Perez and Phil Jimenez. Mm. Uh, so much so that I think if anybody was going to draw in this book and if anybody was going to do George's work kind of justice, and uh, this especially goes for anybody who's ever read Crisis on Infinite Earths, Phil w- Phil was the only choice. He, yeah. he was the only one who could have gotten this right because that splash page, bloody hell, that splash page. <laughs> and I cannot say this enough, that damn splash page. It is gorgeous. There's so much purpose. If you look at every single, almost every single eyeline, everybody that you can see go nose to nose, you oh, can yeah. see that 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 everybody is where they are for a very specific reason. And as you go down the line, the action as each pair of heroes squares off and it's kind of given this wonderful little showcase, especially, I especially love it when Wally and Kyle come to blows on the very next page after the splash. Mm-hmm. And when you've got Tempest finally having had enough of Arthur's shit <laughs> and just it just cuts loose on him. And it's just one duel like that after another after another. And, and you said it yourself. There's a good, hang on, let me count real quick. Two, four, six. There's six pages of this same wonderful format where on one side, you've got this, this long panel going, going about four-fifths of the way down, down the page on the left side. It's Dick facing to what would be you're right if you're looking at the page and he's and he's kind of airing his airing his side of batman and in the middle you've got panels depicting usually two or three different different battles that are going on going on at the same time along the bottom you've got the technus probe that's going about recruiting recruiting the different allies saying you once aided the titans will you do it again but then on the other side you've got batman airing his side and it just goes like that for six pages and despite the fact that it's the that again it's the same format it never gets old no no it's beautiful i mean really okay the splash page that you're talking about Mm. i just have i probably lay at least ten dollars on the fact that that has to be the as soon as they were like hey you guys are going to be doing the book uh this is the first thing that was drawn (laughs) i mean they were like oh well okay we're doing this boom here's what we're going to get now let's just kind of make a comic that leads up to it (laughs) 
Uh, I mean, it's it's that <laughs> it's that much of a statement that you're looking at that page with all these heroes just ready to square off, and it this is what you came for. This is the main event. You are mm-hmm. going to see you're going to see a throwdown, and it's look. You've read comics before. Anybody out there that's read comics before, there's always going to be a misunderstanding that causes two groups of heroes to go at it. This one is this one is no different, but it's done well. You have the tension between a lot of these heroes, which kind of starts, uh, you know, uh, uh, Green Lantern and the Flash at the beginning. They're not getting along great. I mean, they're not mm-hmm. arguing or anything, but they're both members of the JLA at the time. And then when it comes down to it, and somebody has to make a decision uh, as to whether when when Wally has to make a decision as to which team he's going to be on and he sides with the Titans, it's on. It's on at that mm. point. Green Lantern suits up. You know, he's got the uh, Green Lantern mech suit of some sort and he's going after Wally. Uh, and, and just listen, if you are, there's Captain Marvel Juniors in this thing. Um, there's Catwoman shows up like, I don't know why, but she's here. Uh, uh-huh. Bruce, I think, is wondering too. He's like, yeah, I noticed she was here 40 seconds ago. I, I mean, there is hero after hero after hero that are facing off in here it's glorious i mean that's probably the best way to put it and just seeing some of these you know some of these extra players that i've you know if you're a titans reader i guarantee you you're going to recognize these people and you're wanting them to get into the fray it's it's something to be behold to be honest you know mm-hmm. we, we had a lot of characters in the first issue uh but i think you said it before we even got into this second issue it's not it doesn't become too much uh, would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, okay. There are obviously you can't give every single member of the previous Titans lineups the spotlight. You just don't have the space for it. Otherwise, this would rival Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. <laughs> in length, and this this just isn't a story that needed to be that long. Because because uh, otherwise, if you did try to do that, as much as I maybe would have liked, especially to have seen him do a little bit more with. Wally's conflict between his past and present allegiances. One of the things I enjoyed most about this is this for a crossover event, this really moved at a pretty brisk little pace and managed to finish kind of exactly when it needed to. I think that was one of the things that I was really amazed is that we only have three issues of this and mm-hmm. it really feels like you did get through a crisis event uh, of some sort by the time you're done. And a lot of it may be about, I mean, you you have a lot that you're trying to process with what's going on in front of you. And that can be a detriment sometimes when it comes to a comic. I mean, it's rare that I look at a comic and go, oh, that's too much. I wasn't doing that here. There's enough here to make me go, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, okay, that looks pretty cool. The other thing is, is I knew how this was all going to end. You know, this is injustice, okay? No one, mm-hmm. I didn't expect anybody to die here by the hand of another hero. <laughs> so I knew by the end of this, we were going to be, I, I was hoping for at least a, a decent, happy ending. But still, just to see some of these characters mingle with the others or at least get into it with the others was was pretty cool one of the things that i had written here was that i did see that there was a criticism that this was fan service but what do you think fuck off <laughs> fuck i mean ew, ew, it's fan- 
oh, his fans are... Okay, look, you're talking about a universe where you have books and properties and characters that cross over constantly anyway. Mm -hmm. You're selling this right there on the cover based on the fact that it's JLA Titans. It being fan service doesn't make it bad, especially when you've come up with an interesting idea for a story, one that you've really paced out beautifully to where it doesn't drag on a panel longer than it needs to. And most importantly, what do some of you people have against fun? That's right, damn it. Explain, explain that to me. I mean, it's comic books. We're talking about a story about a giant planet made of space debris that is currently consuming the moon. You know, your, your favorite property, it can be more than one thing and tell a good story and tell a good story. This is this is why some this is why some of you fuckers went and shat all over the Star Wars franchise and ruined any chances we would get of getting any more future spin-off movies because you had to go and throw tantrums over solo just because <laughs> Star Wars wanted to divert from the grandiose space opera for two yeah. whopping hours and just tell a fun action-packed heist comedy prequel story. But you wanted to sit there and lawyer the lore with everyone. And I'm sure and get all butthurt because it wasn't row one. But the other thing is, is that this comic is over 20 years old now. Seeing this in the late 90s, I'm sorry, uh, but, you know, I'm I am all about it. I'm just like, I want to see as many as many characters come together in a in a in a big event. And this is just on the beginnings of the event culture that comics has run into. Regardless, I mean, people have probably been screaming for JLA Titans for a while by the 1990s. Uh, they wanted to see something. They wanted to see them come together or they wanted to see them battle. Who would who would beat who? Um, so, you know, this is perfectly a, a good adaptation of what I would have wanted. You know what this reminded me of? Tell me. The classic Power Rangers crossovers that for a, that for a while, I don't know if they still do them because I haven't watched any of the current series in ages, but the ones that would happen every season where they would cross over the current team with the previous seasons, the one that the one that I think started, if, if it didn't start with it, I know that Forever Red is at least the most famous one. Okay. The one, the one where, for one reason or another, I forget what it was, they pulled together the Red Ranger Rangers from every single Power Rangers lineup. Oh, nice. Including Austin St. John. Very nice. Are you going to watch something like that that's just meant to be a fun, thrilling one-off and sit there and just, bemo and just bemoan that, yeah, it's fan service. Fan service. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you, are you going to go watch one of the one of the multiple Doctor specials from Doctor Who and yeah. just bemoan, me, fucking fan, fuck's sake, have some fun. I know we're at a point when comics are trying to tell these big operatic stories but it's nice sometimes to see that they're capable of just breaking it down and having fun that's right that's right well the other the other small thing that i had here i, I not not very fun but uh i did want to talk about donna troy who i've heard ah, is yes. she's a complicated character i know that much there was some history here and a very sad what felt like a, a you know it was obviously emotional but they're pulling her out of the virtual reality simulation that she's in and, mm -hmm. and she's hugging this child dick comes to her and says hey look you've got to come out of here we, we've got to go this isn't real and she looks up after holding this child in her arms and she goes i know and she's got a tear in her eye and i'm like mm -hmm. okay what is this about 
this mm-hmm. is probably probably one of the smallest minute things that I need to, I needed to know about this issue. So did a little bit of research, but I mean, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, did you know anything about what was going on here with Donna Troy and this young boy, Bobby? Donna Troy is a long tenured but complex character. The short version that I'll kind of give everybody, and Jesse, feel free to correct me from your research if you want to, if I kind of get anything nuanced or wrong, Sure, is a big part of her character is the fact that she's kind of doomed to be perpetually rebooted in a way and just kind of and just kind of be constantly reincarnated almost always with a different backstory slightly different powers even even a slightly different costume think of it as kind of like a kinder a kinder take on dark side's omega sanction Okay. Wherein basically when when he in, when he inflicts that you are kind of doomed to live infinite live infinite lives and each time experience in each lifetime experience more and more suffering um, experience an increasingly violent tragic death um, horrifying yeah yeah except in except in Donna's case it's it's not nearly with so much intentional misery mm-hmm. but I mean when you're talking about someone who's kind of had that much of a weird backstory lived that many different lives and then she's put into a simulation like that anytime you introduce a device like that it becomes kind of meaningless and hollow if you don't have at least somebody who is taken who's kind of taken in and seduced by it ultimately even though they know it isn't real they just don't want to leave yeah and so i could i could think of nobody that would be more perfect for that than somebody who's experienced that uh, that unimaginable tragedy of having to bury their child, especially one as young as Donna's. Yeah. So Well, so Bobby does have a bit of a history in the DC universe. Have you ever heard of Lord Chaos? Uh, sounds familiar, but no, I have not. You're, that's Bobby. So let me read this to you. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Going to comicvine.gamespot.com. I'll, I'll read directly from here. Robert Long was the child of Donna Troy and Terry Long. He was born with great powers, but those powers would have made him power hungry in the future. Future mm. Titans, now you're speaking in my language. Future Titans came to kill Donna before she should give birth to him, Sarah Connor. Lord Chaos also came to ensure his birth and future. Donna gave birth to Robert and with the help of both her team and the future team defeated Lord Chaos. Donna then asked the Titans of Myth to take away her powers and her sons to make sure he never became Lord Chaos. Donna and Terry divorced and Terry got sole custody of Robert. Robert Long died in a car accident with his father and stepsister at the age of three. That's tragic. But yeah, apparently he was a big player in DC at one point. I learned something new every day when I'm doing this podcast, and lo and behold, I've learned something new. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 now you've given me another little slice of Titans history that I'm going to be clamoring to check out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before I get to the third synopsis, anything else you'd like to bring up about this second jam-packed, sir? I mean, we're talking jam-packed issue. Not really a whole lot, except to say that, man, it really says something for the finale when you have to take into consideration that there that the next issue actually begins with an even more awe-inspiring sequence of events no that just that just yeah, anybody who reads this is going to be able to point to and say, this is why I love comics now. 
<laughs> oh, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, you can read a book. Okay, great. Your imagination is your greatest playground. And as you're reading something, it's going to get into your head. But yeah. I, I have such a respect for storytelling in a comic when somebody writes something and then the artist has to interpret that on the page. And then you have storytelling like this, where not only do you have the story being told, but you have the way that it's being told. You have all these events that are happening on Earth and, uh, you know, this discussion that's happening between Gar and the other Titans with with Vic and watching all of this unfold and you get the sense that this is all happening at once. And that is, and it's one of the biggest respects that I have for comic book creators where they have to mesh the storytelling and not only in a written style, but also in a, in a, in a, uh, in a visual style. Uh, and kudos to both the guys on this book, uh, Jimenez and Grayson for getting this out there the way that they did. But yeah, let me go ahead. We'll get into the synopsis here. So on the Technus construct out there on the moon, uh, the Titans team of Wally West, uh, Flash, Donna Troy, Tempest, Nightwing, Arsenal, Raven, and Changeling slash Gar arrive near Vic's Omega Drome Power Core. While outside, a team led by Superman and uh, well, well, led by Superman, uh, struggle to keep the construct from impeding the moon's natural orbit. When Arsenal fires an arrow, now remind some of these Titans go by different names. This uh, you would also know Arsenal as Speedy and uh, oh my goodness, I can't remember his actual Arsenal, name. Speedy, Red Arrow, Roy Harper. You got it. There you go. Yeah. Uh, when, when <laughs> Arsenal fires an arrow to get Vic's attention, all the Titans are split up and approached by a version of Victor. As each team, this is just a silent, stoic Victor, uh, but as each team member talks to them about dealing with pain and loneliness, we see the image before the Titans change Siberian to Cyborg and finally Victor. Uh, when Gar finally gets Vic to understand that he isn't... Now, I tried my best to interpret this. It was tough. Uh, but when Gar finally gets Vic to understand that he isn't going to be safe from the... Hey, savings, Rust Bucket, let go of the moon already. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's not, he, he's up front and blunt with him. And he's like, you know, he's like, dude, you, you've got to, you're not going to be safe from your feelings until you acknowledge them and deal with them and realize that it takes work to be a human being. Vic then creates an image of his own father, which was interesting. It was a neat way of, I guess, Vic actually resolving this with himself because well, it took well, the yeah, tight. Be, because, because Gar kind of in exasperation just finally asked him sort of, you, sort of, you won't absolutely listen to any, any of us. How about you show us who you will listen to? Yeah. And, you know, his a vision of his father, I think his name's Silas, if I remember right. Is it Silas? Mm -hmm. Silas um, Stone, yep. Silas shows up and talks to Vic, and who tells him that his friends are his family and he will be okay. As Vic begins to relent on Earth, Raven starts a process to put his consciousness into a CPU. This is 1998, folks. Into a CPU. However, the CPU cannot handle it. There's not enough megabytes, okay? <laughs> As the Technus construct begins to break apart around them, pieces of it begin to fall towards the planet as heroes come together to scramble to save as many as possible. Omen teleports to the Titans in space and advises them of the situation and that Raven is holding Vic's soul but cannot do so for much longer. Seeing a possible solution, the Titans believe the Omega Drome suit can house Vic. The problem is Omen has the ability to transport only Gar and the Omega Drome back to Earth, leaving the rest of the team to die in space. Nightwing explains uh, he and the team knew it was 
was a risk they had to take and is fine with that sacrifice to save their friend. As a construct breaks apart around them, the remaining Titans realize their friendship has brought them a long way and regret that their time is coming to an end. But that is when Green Lantern and Kyle Rayner shows up rescuing them from certain death. Arriving on Earth, the threat of the disintegrating Technus construct has subsided and Raven releases Vic's soul into the Omegadrome and it appears to work, giving us a golden metal version of Victor Stone Cyborg. In a small epilogue, everyone is enjoying themselves at Guy Gardner's Bar Warriors, which, by the way, a book that mm-hmm. houses Orion and Guy Gardner in the same pages. I don't know how the egos didn't, like, explode the book in the first place. Oh, but Guy Gardner. <laughs> fuck Guy Gardner so hard. <laughs> Jesting and merriment between the two teams as the te- as the Titans in JLA rejoice in their victory while Vic gets used to his new body. Something of note is the interaction between Nightwing and Starfire. You get this sense that they've been separated for quite a while uh, and uh, they reunite to be friends again. And uh, finally, as the statue of younger versions of the Teen Titans is unveiled, they reflect on their humble beginnings, how far they have drifted apart only to come back again as friends. So I, I gave the people the, the core of what happens in this book. What do you think of this resolution? Well, let me just go back a little bit and just point out that at one point, Kyle Rayner and Wonder Woman form a combined net around the moon using (laughs) Kyle's ring and the reformed material of the invisible jet to pull it by force back into place. That's right. That is right. Green Lantern and Wonder Woman yank the moon back into its proper orbit. Holy shit. Take your grousing about fan service and shove it squarely up your ass. I love this book. But in terms of the finale, what I like most about it is, number one, not a single person dies. Not one. There is not a single solitary casualty. In fact, Cyborg is returned to his original form. So you could even make that a plus one. That's right. There's uh, there's no lingering acrimony between anybody at the end. The closest you get to it, if I can cherry pick just a few things out of the epilogue, when the events we've just witnessed inspire the old Titans to reform a new group and nominate their own respective preferred members, Jesse Quick is initially very reluctant to join up to join up until Dick kind of explains to her, no, I don't want you working alongside Wally. You're wow. kind of his replacement. Uh, let me just real quick. So I read the three issues. I assume mm-hmm. there must be some extra stuff that you got in the trade that I had no idea about. Well, yeah. Um, okay. In the in the trade, there's an there's an epilogue. I'll kind of sum up what I'm sum up what I'm able to. Sure. Uh, there's a bit of a meeting of the minds, particularly first between Garfield, Vic, and Roy in terms of first databasing, kind of adding all the previous Titans to a database, and then those three kind of join up with Tempest and Donna and Dick, um, oh, and Wally, in order to kind of start to forge an idea for who is going to go forth and try to recruit who for the proposed new team. Okay. Um, and you get, uh, we get a hilarious interaction between Argent and Wally West, after which Argent very enthusiastically agrees to, the, agrees to join the team. 
or next page rather is Garfield and Vic hanging out by the Dayton Estates pool and kind of talking about what they're respectively going going to do. Neither one of them is exactly sure. We kind of come and go from Dick trying to recruit trying to recruit Jesse, who again is is kind of really is kind of really not feeling it at first. Duella Dent, oh boy. out of out of out of costume, just in ordinary street clothes, uh, talking just some random dude's ear off at uh, <laughs> at she's a character at a bar at a bar, and then proclaiming that she's Doomsday's daughter, and the bartender saying, "Listen, lady, I don't care if you're the daughter of freaking God. You're gonna buy a drink or what?" <laughs> I mean, dude, that dossier on her was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. she was Joker's daughter, she was the Penguin's daughter, she was yeah, Two-Face's yeah. daughter, and I was yeah. like, and then she, yeah, just like you're saying, she claims <laughs> she's Doomsday's daughter. I think at Warriors, she was saying that she was uh, some the Wildebeest's daughter. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. like, okay, all right. Let's hear so everything the, next, she says. the next few pages, we have Tempest kind of getting damage out of out of some serious Dutch with some feds in order to recruit him with a with a little help in the back in the background from Roy. We cut to Vic and Gar playing video games together, and Gar is going on about how he's thinking about maybe giving it maybe giving it a go in Hollywood. Another page of Nightwing trying to entice trying to entice Jesse. Donna kind of man kind of recruits Starfire back into the back into the fold on the ensuing pages. Nice. Um, the next page we have uh, Mal Duncan kind of coming to grips with kind of the idea that eh, the tight the Titans probably aren't going to be calling him for the reunion for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious cheeky little interaction between Roy and Supergirl where Roy is trying to get his trying to get his flirt on. Oh geez. Um <laughs> Supergirl whispers something in his in his ears that makes his eyes go the size of planetoids. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when he when he asks what's your idea of a good time <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Dick finally talking Jesse into the fold. An adorable, absolute, absolutely like it's it's downright enamel dissolving it dissolving. It's so saccharine and sweet. Leanne Harper, the little supernova of cute, <laughs> comes running up to Vic and Garfield, just going cookie, 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 and then proceeds to <laughs> cajole uh, Gar into turning into a monkey by saying salad head do monkey do monkey Vic uh, finally tells Roy, tells Roy, I'm in. Uh, they all arrive at Dayton Estates and Garfield springs it on them that, no, he is going to be the one that's going to bow out this time. Because this oh. time, he's the one that has to kind of go figure himself out. Okay. Um, but it's, but it's, it, yeah, it's, it's not a, but it's not on a teary note. It's not on a bitter note. The last lines of it are, besides, I'm older now. I want to see what else I can do with my life. Go on. On. Don't worry about me. That's exactly my point. I don't need that anymore. Everyone's got to leave their family sometime. There's nothing somber about it. He leaves knowing that they're family. They're always going going to be family. And with that security in mind, he can he can go forth to find himself with comfort and peace of mind. It's a good way to wrap it up. I, I hate the fact that I didn't have the chance to read that little bit. It, I mean, because it just ends the statues unveiled and that's it. Uh, I'm glad the trade put that little bit in there. I'm gonna have to look that up see if it's like in another issue of titans or something but uh how, mm-hmm. how was it like the size of a re- 
regular issue, or did it seem like it was just a few pages? It felt like it was about the size of a regular issue. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, you can you can you could probably breeze through it in a matter of about fifteen minutes or so. Not bad. I mean, I I mean, I I read it during a quick breather during work. So. Okay. Well, so on the for the final issue itself, I mean, I think the biggest part of what we get in that third issue is you know Vic and Gar. Well, Gar mostly talking to him and being pretty upfront with him and and trying to get Vic to realize what's going on and that he has people that he can lean on. I mean, what'd you think of uh, Gar's speech to Vic? Did you have any thoughts on it? I thought it hit home and summed everything up beautifully. It it encapsulated every theme of the story, the whole notion that no one is is an island and that shutting your emotion your emotions out, just kind of sequestering yourself like that. It's it's never going to move anything forward. Yeah, I mean, you you think of there's a metaphor, I guess, uh, as a metaphor um, mm-hmm. of building walls around you, mm-hmm. and Vic built a planet. <laughs> He built a planet around him. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and if you can't get much more visual and literal than that, and it it took his friends and family to kind of sit down and say, "Look, man, you you you've got to get a hold of yourselves. You things are getting out of control." In my opinion, I think it takes your your best friends and family to really wake you up out of some of the funk that you're in. I think that that whole exchange with with everybody, but yes, especially with with Gar, it 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 also sums up everything that I've always loved most about the story, and that is the theme that family is so much bigger than DNA, especially when you when Vic finally kind of uh manifests his dad Silas yeah and his dad with whom Victor throughout a lot of those early issues I don't I don't know if you remember had a very strained relationship really wanted yeah. nothing to do with him and the two didn't and the two didn't reconcile until Silas's last days that's right but Silas is kind of ensuring him that he was kind of able to die in peace knowing that his son was looked after by a fam- by a family by a found family mm-hmm. and in uh, in many instances speaking from a great deal of experience of of my own that family can be every bit as valuable and insightful and unconditionally loving as as anyone you'll ever find at its best that's kind of what the titans have always been have always been for each other and it's been the part that i've always related to most about this about this team and the most and what i've where i've always kind of drawn the most comfort and inspiration so yeah yeah well, I just I, I I just can't find very many faults with this book, except for the fact that I could see some people writing it off as maybe not being very beginner friendly. Yeah, there are a lot of big names and there are a lot of small names. But I think that that as a writer, you're probably if you're a fan of the property, which obviously they wouldn't give this to somebody who wasn't a fan of the Teen Titans or, or the fan mm. of the Titans or a fan of JLA. If it was me and I love the property, I'm bringing in everybody I can and i'm like well we're going to do a story that involves everybody we're going to give them their five minutes to shine if we can i do want to point out that the movie the matrix keanu reeves all right Lawrence fishburne dropped Mm -hmm. in march 24th 1999 and this predates that there's so many matrix vibes in the uh, technus 
putting people in pods. I'm sure that's probably been a that's been a thing for a while. But uh, that is the vibes I was getting when I was reading this. It's like, holy crap, you know, Vic has become the Matrix. He's putting them in in pods and making them believe. But obviously, that's not the the crux of the book. But uh, I just thought it was pretty interesting that this book beat that movie out by about six months. Final thoughts. I mean, what else is left unsaid? Uh, you you have the floor, and then we'll get into plug. I don't think we've left a whole lot unsaid. I think that if if I have to add anything, it's the fact that the first sparks of the formation of a new Titans team after this definitely has me wanting to go on and read what was released afterwards so that I can kind of see what comes next. This certainly endeared enough of these characters to me. It's, it's paced fantastically. It is, in my opinion, a brilliant success in terms of, as I said before, the challenge of trying to write what is largely meant to be a self-contained mini kind of one-shot crossover event that follows up on a whole lot of continuity that would, I think, kind of daunt a lot of writers. But it manages to create something that once you can kind of get past that a little bit confusing and overwhelming first issue ends up being a superbly satisfying read by the end of it. I can 100% see how this was the book that got Linkara into comics because after after reading this, as much as I'm going to go on and keep reading Wolfman and Perez, because God knows there's a lot of that I haven't gotten through yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, I also want to read not just more JLA and more Titans. I wanna I wanna see what else Devin Grayson and Phil Jimenez have out there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, yeah, I enjoyed myself. I had a good time. I'm glad you brought this one to the forefront for us to discuss. I'm glad to be back and bring it in with a JLA Titans book, man. It's good. It's good stuff. So, all right, man. Well, why don't you let the people know what is going on uh, in the Fortress of Shonitude right now? What what do you got (laughs) planned on uh, podcast-wise, streaming-wise? What's going on? Did someone say plugs? This would be a good time to plug a sponsor for the W2M network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Source Material, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two M network to download Grammarly for free. Ah, uh, God, I, I'm so bad about being able to remember my podcast schedule right off <laughs> the top of my head. Uh, I know that I think the next podcast I've got coming up isn't going to be until I think later this month when Mark and I are going to be reviewing the Candyman trilogy on Long Road to Ruin. But in the meantime, as far as catching up with me in particular, you can find me on Twitter, Twitter at Comer Codex. I hope to fuck you like video games, politics, food porn and DDP yoga because by gum that's what you're getting <laughs> uh, and it's also a good place to get updates for when I'm going to be streaming over at twitch.tv slash Comer Codex I am there usually already as it is I'm there Wednesday Thursday and Friday nights uh, lately I've been working my way through 
the Bioshock and Mass Effect Legendary Edition trilogies, but you know, sometimes I throw in a couple of streams during the week if I happen if I happen to be feeling like it, and I will almost always post an update on Twitter around an hour before I go live, typically around 8 p.m. Central Time. Okay, very good. Well, I, yeah, as for the schedule itself, I've got it here in front of me. I'll just run down. Uh, this is airing the 12th of August, so I'll run down what the week's shows look like here as best as I can. Uh, so Mark released our Transformers the movie commentary on Sunday uh, the 8th. Uh, that This was something that Ronnie, me, Mark, and Justin did, so you can check that out. Was there a discussion about this, or was this something that he went and watched? I have no idea. But anyway, Damn You Hollywood, The Green Knight. <laughs> I, it's on the schedule. I don't know if that's been recorded yet uh, or if it's going to be dropping later. I have no idea, but keep an eye out for that. That apparently was a movie that dropped, and uh, Ronnie Adams, I think, helped on there and helped Mark with the review. Uh, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, the first volume, Trial by Fire, which I believe involves, I want to say, Evan Bevins and Mark Radlich. And then, damn you, Hollywood, The Suicide Squad, which uh, apparently is a good movie. I haven't had a chance to watch it. I want to. This is one of the ones where I was like, now I'm gonna, I've been hearing like, maybe I shouldn't watch that with the kids around. Hard R is what I've been told. So I just guess I got to be prepared for that. But anyway, then we have on Thursday, the 12th, this show, obviously, Damn You Hollywood, Star Trek Beyond is being re-aired. And then I think it's Pat Mullen, possibly. Uh, I know Mark and most likely Chris Bailey. The guests are not listed here, but watch out for the mania of Wrestle Media 4 and 5. That's going to be airing there on Thursday the 12th. Damn You Hollywood's review of Pixels is going to be re-aired on the 13th and then on Saturday the 14th, look out because the Metal Hammer of Doom is re-airing their review of Megadeth's Super Collider. And if I remember correctly, that one didn't get over so well. So that is the week of the 8th through the 14th right here on the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network. If you wish to check out some of the stuff that I'm posting, you're more than welcome to. I'm at Stiznarkey on Twitter. I, I do a show called uh, The Unspoken Issues, and it's a 90s comic-centric podcast. Drops uh, just about every, twice a month. We'll just say that. But uh, the, last, the last episode I dropped was a fantastic interview episode that I did with Ron Friends. Uh, if you have seen the first appearance of Spider-Man, uh, which is, well, that's debatable, but let's just say if you've seen the amazing Spider-Man cover where he's wearing the black suit and he's swinging across holding somebody in his arms, that's supposedly the first appearance of the black costume Spider-Man. That was Ron Friends. So we had the opportunity to sit down and talk to him, but we didn't talk about a whole lot of his older stuff. We talked Thunderstrike, baby. If you are a, if you are a 90s comics fan and you remember uh, that fake Thor that was Eric Masterson slash Thunderstrike. He was the co-creator of that character. And we had a fun time talking to him about the genesis of that character, what all came about in some of the twists and turns. We also asked him questions about Marvel's new universe. If you were a fan of that in the late 80s, you know, hey, what's his thoughts about Eric Masterson possibly showing up in the MCU? He's got some thoughts on it. So keep an eye out. That was in the archives, I think, last week. Sean, it's been a pleasure, man. It's good to be back. I'm glad I got to bring in uh, this new era of source material with you. And I look forward to having you back on at some point. Hopefully we'll get to talk some more Team Titans or whatever you'd like to do. So uh, for Sean Comer, I am Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye.